want to invite you to go ahead and take your Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. We have launched into a journey together as a church family through this great New Testament book of Hebrews. And if you are new, maybe you're a guest, maybe this is your first Sunday with us, you've chosen a great time to jump right in. We are only in week two of this study through Hebrews. And just want to remind you, all of us, the best ways for you to get the most out of this study. We're going to go verse by verse through the book of Hebrews through this year. It's going to take us all the way up through the fall. So I want you to get the most out of it. So let me encourage you, encourage you to read along with your church family the book of Hebrews. We provided a reading plan. It's available online. It's available in print. You can check this out. Uh, as you read through this reading plan, you're going to see that we're going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament this year. We talk about the book of Hebrews is really that link between the promises and the pictures of the Old Testament and the fulfillment that, that is in Jesus. So we're going to read the book of Hebrews with our Old Testament open. We're going to spend a lot of time there. This reading guide will guide you through that. So I encourage you to check that out. Also, prioritize the gathering. Every Sunday, we're going to be right here. We're going to be walking verse by verse through Hebrews. So you plan to be here. Make this a priority. And then study. Uh, go deeper into the book of Hebrews online, on our website. We say this a lot. There is a ton of resources for you to dig deeper into this book of Hebrews. So I encourage you, take advantage of those. And then this read, study, talk through the book of Hebrews together. Paul mentioned all our go groups that are starting. There's opportunities for you to get with other believers, your family, around the kitchen table, whatever it is. Talk about these truths that God is revealing and showing us as we walk through the book of Hebrews. All right? So let me, let me give you just a quick review. Some of you may have not been here last week. Let me just catch us up the book of Hebrews. As we open up, just to remind you, as the name implies, the book of Hebrews was written to primarily a Jewish community of faith. This Jewish community of faith living in the first century. Sometime this letter was written around 50 to 60 AD, something like that. Now again, this book is written, it's going to assume that you have a working knowledge of the Old Testament. So there's going to be a lot of back and forth because the book of Hebrews was written to be the link it's one of the links, not the only one, but it has a unique place in the canon of Scripture that spends so much time explaining and talking about the Old Testament pictures and shadows and promises and then links all of that to say the fulfillment is here in King Jesus. So Hebrews provides this link for us between God's revelation of Himself in the past and God's now full Revelation of himself in King Jesus. Just a reminder, although Hebrews is written primarily to a Hebrew community of faith in that day, it was written to at least three different groups who were living, who were part of that community of faith. We said last week, this, the book of Hebrews, if you're going to rightly interpret it, understand part of Hebrews is going to be speaking directly to those authentic followers of Jesus. They are, they are the ones who've crossed the line of faith. They have embraced Jesus as their Messiah. They have moved on past the shadows. And by faith and repentance, they've crossed the line. They've died to self. They said, Jesus is worth it. 
and they've experienced life in Christ. Much of Hebrews is written to them. And by the way, much of Hebrews is written to that group because it's costing them something to be followers of Jesus. Family members and others who are not yet convinced of who Jesus is are ostracizing and causing them pet pressure and pain and a degree of persecution. So the writer of Hebrews writes and says to this group, let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He is better. Then there's another group that the book of Hebrews is written to. It's those who have heard the message. They would intellectually agree with the message of Jesus, but they have not crossed the line of faith. They have not been willing to die to self and embrace Christ and Christ alone. They are right on the verge of faith. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to this group and he's saying, how shall we escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Come to Jesus. And then there's a third group, quickly, it's this group that you just can call, they're, they're ignorant or they're unaware. They, they wear the religious patch, but they simply have not been fully exposed to the truths of the gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. So he speaks to this group as well. They would be the cultural Christians of their day. And to all three of these groups, the writer of Hebrews really says the same message over and over and over and over, Jesus is better. He's the better revelation, he's the better high priest, he's the better sacrifice, he's the better hope, Jesus is better. So that's the drumbeat, if you will, of the book of Hebrews. Now, before we walk back through verses 1 through 3 quickly, and then we're going to jump to another place in Scripture. It's kind of a cross-reference this morning. I want you to really get your understanding around what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate in these first three verses. The, the introduction to the book of Hebrews. And I want to do it this way. I, I want to begin with an illustration. There is, there is in the desert of New Mexico, this massive structure that maybe you've seen it in movies, maybe you've heard of it, but in the desert of New Mexico, there is this massive structure called the VLA. You say, wow, that's so impressive, Pastor Mike. It, it stands for the Very Large Array. That's even more impressive, right? The Very Large Array in the desert of New Mexico is a series of 27 massive radio antennas that are constantly aimed toward the heavens. Constantly, the, these, these radio antennas, again, they've appeared in movies. They're somewhat well-known. They're affectionately known as the big ear. <laughs> because here's what those 27 radio antennas do 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, these antennas are listening. They've tuned themselves toward the heavens and they are listening for a communication from the heavens. They are designed to try to learn how did the universe begin? Is there life beyond us? What are the mysteries of the universe? These antennas are constantly listening, if you will, for a word from the heavens. 
$250 million was spent by the National Science Foundation every moment of every day hoping, listening for a word, a communication from the heavens. Now I say all that to say I could have saved that organization about $250 million and said if you will open up to the beginning of your Bible it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Or you could open up to the beginning of the book of Hebrews because the message at the beginning of the book of Hebrews is this, God the creator of everything has spoken to us. God speaks. There is a communication from beyond us. God has spoken. And that is the drumbeat at the beginning of the, the book of, of Hebrews that I want you to hear. Hebrews chapter 1, we started there last week, just look at it with me. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says this, Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke. God is knowable. God is knowable because He's made Himself known. He has spoke, the writer of Hebrews says, to our fathers by the prophets. The, the beginning of Hebrews, the author is looking back to God's past revelation. He, he's speaking of the 39 books primarily of the Old Testament. He says it's the record of God speaking, making Himself known. The theological principle here is what we call revelation. Revelation, to, to simplify, it could be this. It is God's willful disclosure of Himself. God has spoken. God is speaking through His Son. God is revealing Himself and God's revelation of Himself. You and I need to know this morning and stand in awe of it because it is an act of grace. God making Himself known to you and to me is an act of grace. Listen how John MacArthur put it. I, I love this. He says, The senses of man, marvelous as they are, are incapable of reaching beyond our own natural world. For us to know anything about God, He must tell us. We could never know God if He did not speak to us. Thus, in the Old Testament, the days before the birth of Christ, God spoke. And that's the point of the author of Hebrews. He's looking back to God's revelation in the past. He said, God has spoken in many ways and at many times. The word ways there means in many different portions, many different fragments, many different pieces. He's thinking back maybe to Moses and the burning bush. God spoke through a burning bush. To Moses. God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. 1 Kings 19. God spoke to Isaiah in a heavenly vision. Isaiah 6. Amos 8.1. God spoke to Amos through a basket of fruit. Many portions and in many ways. God has spoken in the past. And the point of the author of Hebrews is... All of those were fragments, they were pieces, they were all incomplete. God speaking in the past 
it, it needs a conclusion. It's not totally fulfilled yet. And that's where the author of Hebrews switches gears. He comes to verse 2 and he says, but in these last days. The last days, the, the season we're in now between the resurrection and the first coming of Christ and our anticipated waiting of the next coming, the return of Jesus. We are in these last days now. The author of Hebrews says, He has spoken to us in His Son. The writer of Hebrews is saying God was speaking in promises, in fragments, but now all those pictures find their ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. God made himself known long ago. God now makes himself ultimately and fully known in his son, King Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the way the author of Hebrews begins this great book. He says, yes, God has been in the process of progressively making himself known throughout history. But now the full culmination of God's revealing his nature and what he's like and how we can know him is completed in the Son. And you have a written, inspired record of it in your Bible. God has spoken. Then the writer of Hebrews goes on quickly and he, he gives some characteristics of this son to hold up Jesus as superior to all other ways of revealing him, uh, uh, that God revealed himself. He, he holds Jesus up as the better, the, the superior. He says, verse 3, whom he appointed heir of all things. The word appointed is the idea of purposed. It, it's the word tithemi. We get the word tithe from it. We set something apart for a purpose. God in times past forever had set aside Jesus to be the heir of all things. That is a place of rank that no one else has. Superior rank. No one else is the heir, the recipient of all things. Through whom also he created the world, verse 2. He's not like Moses, he's not like the angels, he's not like the high priest, he's not like the prophets who were all created beings. Jesus, the revelation of God, is the creator of all things. The superiority of Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Verse 3, the radiance, definite article, not the word radiance is the idea of shining brilliance, the, the visible glory of God on display. Throughout the Old Testament, God had patterns of, of manifesting a degree of his visible glory. You remember Moses on Mount Sinai and Isaiah in the temple and the tabernacle when it was built. The glory of God was manifested. Different ways this visible glory of God was on display. But now the writer of Hebrews says, now there is the ultimate radiance of the glory of God in the person of the Son, King Jesus. He is the exact imprint of his nature, not merely a representation, not merely one who just speaks for God. He is God Almighty himself. He is the second person of the Trinity, the very nature of God come and walk among us. Jesus upholds all things in the universe by the word of his power. I love that. 
The same word that spoke the universe into being is the same word that holds all things together and is progressing history along the paths of God's purpose. That's the word of the Son. After making purification of sins. What an incredible verse. He then switches to the idea of the atonement that this, this one who has now come, this Jesus, this ultimate manifestation of God, after he made purification of sins and in the mind of a Jew, remember, who had walked through all the sacrificial system for hundreds and thousands of years of a slain lamb after a, a, this lamb and that lamb and this sacrifice and this high priest year after year. Now there's no longer any need for the sacrifice because the ultimate sacrifice is here. When Jesus had made the purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The work of atonement is done. And he sits down at the place of ultimate authority. In the mind of a Jew, that this is going off in their minds, the right hand of God. That doesn't mean Jesus has this cool chair in heaven. It's a, it's a picture to describe the place of ultimate majesty, ultimate authority at the very right hand of God is now occupied by Jesus. There is no revelation. There is none superior to Jesus. And like Paul mentioned at the beginning when he was praying that, that also speaks to his work of intercession for us. He never ceases to be our intercessor at the very presence of God in his perfect righteousness. I am secure in Christ because of Christ's righteousness. He always lives to make intercession for his people. Incredible. So the point here of the author of Hebrews is this, that this is our big truth from last week, just as review quickly, that Jesus is the better revelation. Jesus is the ultimate, full, complete revelation of who God is, what God is like, it's how we know Him. And that's the message He wants to drive a stake in the ground at the beginning of this great book of Hebrews that Jesus is the ultimate better revelation. He is the fullest, most complete revelation of God. Now, stop right there. I want you to wrestle in your heart for just a minute. Okay, why then does that matter? What does that matter that the writer of Hebrews is going to such great lengths to say there is no greater revelation of who God is than what we have in the Son and the record of the Son in the Scripture. Why does that matter? Two answers to you really quick. This is huge for us. To the Hebrew recipients of this letter, those that are hearing this letter, it means everything to them. They had grown up in the age of the miracles and the visions and the prophets and the sacrificial system. And now they're being encouraged to move on past the picture and embrace the fulfillment that is Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is saying there's none better than Jesus. There will be no greater revelation. He is the ultimate and full. And to those Hebrews it is draw near, come closer, hold fast your confession, run the race. Jesus would say the same thing in John 5, 39. Jesus said this to a Jewish audience. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me. All the pictures pointed to the fulfillment that is in Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is saying, he's here. You don't look for another. 
You don't go back to the old way. Press on to God's fulfillment of himself in Jesus Christ. Secondly, why does this matter to you? You say, I'm not not a Jew. Maybe you are. Maybe you're here. You have Jewish heritage. I don't know. Most of us are probably Gentile. So why does this matter to us? This matters infinitely to you and me. Listen very carefully. Jesus is the fullest, most complete revelation of God. He is the better revelation to us. We ask the question, how do you and I know God? How do you and I know what God is like? Is it ecstatic experience? Is it, well, I, you know, I think God was speaking to me. I, I, got, I got the feels. I got some goosebumps, and I'm pretty sure God was telling me something. Is that how we know God? Is it personal revelation of, you know, I'm pretty sure God spoke to me and he told me to do this and he he told me this about himself and he told me that. Is that how we know God? Do we know God by looking within ourselves? You know, that's the world you live in. It's the world of your truth is inside yourself. So you, you search your heart and you trust your heart and inside of you, you'll find ultimate truth. Is that how we know God? Author of Hebrews is declaring very clearly and in great grace and mercy and compassion to you and I, our God is knowable. He has made himself known, but you and I, we don't get to define what God is like or who God is left up to ourselves. God has made himself known. You and I, in in an age of relativism, we don't get to define our own truth and our own God and say, well, this is my God and this is your God. No, the author of Hebrews says, God in His grace and His mercy, He has made Himself known to you. That's how we know what He is like. That's how we know His nature. God's revelation of Himself is not found within me. It is found in his revelation that he has given to us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, and the ultimate fulfillment of that is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate, fullest revelation of who God is. And you have a complete, once and for all, delivered to the saints, inspired record of that in the pages of Scripture. Draw near. Draw near. Jesus is the fullest, most complete revelation of God. He is the better revelation. Our lives and our growth and our sanctification and our future depend on that being true. So I want to take just a few minutes and I want to to say, okay, do we find that in other places of the Bible that Jesus is this fullest revelation? We're going to take a quick detour from Hebrews. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. And I want you to hear from the Apostle John who's going to beat the same drum about this revelation of God. John chapter 1 verse 1, we're going to look at a few verses quickly here. Jesus is the fullest, most complete revelation of God. He's the better revelation. John here, the Apostle, first-hand account, walked with Jesus disciple of Jesus begins his gospel in John 1 much like the writer of Hebrews begins Hebrews this drumbeat 
God has made himself known. God is knowable. Ultimate revelation is in Jesus himself. I'm going to read these verses quickly and then I'm going to give you another big truth that flow out of this and then some big ideas and then we'll go back to Hebrews. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. John goes all the way back to the beginning. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him... Not anything was made that was made. This word is a reference to Jesus. John is writing to a primarily Gentile audience using a word in their day that was very well known. It's this word logos. We translate it word. It meant the communication. It it meant the, the speaking, if you will. He's using this idea of a speaking and saying Jesus is the one who has spoken. God has spoken through Jesus. He calls him the Word. It says all things were made through him. Without him nothing that was made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life. The life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Using these descriptors of light and life. Verse 9, look down. Jump down there for time. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So you didn't go find the light. You didn't look within to find the light. The light came into the world. God sent the light to reveal himself. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own. Speaking of the incarnation, he came as a Jew, walked among the Jews. Yet the world did not know him. He came into his own. Verse 11, his own did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're going to talk about that. Who were born, not of the blood. Or not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14 culminates here. And this word, the word became flesh, became a man, and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's your big idea. Jesus the word became flesh. John the Apostle is beating the same drum that the author of Hebrews was beating, is that there is an ultimate revelation of God, and it's this Word, it's Jesus. Logos, again, it means the expression, it means the ultimate speaking. And to hold up this as the ultimate revelation of God, the Apostle John says, I want you to know who this Word is. This person, he says in verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Genesis language, he's always been. This Word was in the beginning. He was with God. This Word, this Jesus, second person of the Trinity, the word with here has the idea of presence. It's the idea of face-to-face. It's the idea of intimacy, of communion, of fellowship. It's a picture of the perfect communion that has gone on within the triune God forever and ever and ever and this word Jesus from the beginning was with God a trinitarian reality (laughs) and then if that's not challenging enough he comes on and he says that not only was he with God not only was he in the beginning he was God 
How's that possible? Trinitarian reality. Albert Moeller says Jesus is the fullest, most complete revelation of the Father possible because he shares the Father's divine nature as the second member of the Trinity. You're not going to get a more clear revelation of God than the second person of the Trinity. That's the point. Jesus, the better, the ultimate revelation. John goes on and he says, Jesus has made God known. And here's some ways that he's made God known. Verse 2, he says, he was in the beginning. Now this second person of the Trinity, this word, this revelation of God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made that was made. I'll give you a couple of big ideas that flow out of this. Big idea number one is this. God is revealed through Jesus in creation. Why was creation, why did creation take place? God is revealed through Jesus, the creator, in creation. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why? To make himself known. It's a progression. Can you know God as redeemer through a tree? No, but you can know God exists. And in creation itself, it says in Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Why was creation brought into existence? To make God known, to glorify God. The very fabric of creation itself exists for the glory of God. Everything in creation was created by the Son to reveal the Father. The atomic structure, every blade of grass, galaxies, supernovas, everything in creation exists for the glory of God. Except one thing. Cats! <laughs> Amen. Jesus created everything. He is the agent of creation to make the Father known, to make God known. Therefore, to neglect the truth, to deny the truth of Scripture, and to deny the truth of the Word, and to deny what has been revealed to us in the pages of Scripture, watch, is to live contrary, inconsistent with the very fabric of creation. The very character of God. As it is woven into every atom of the created universe by the Son. Secondly, how does Jesus make God known? Look at verse 9. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now the idea of light there really quickly is that light is that which enables sight. Light enables one to see, spiritually speaking, to call yourself the light means to make vision or the, 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 to see God, the, the ability to see who God is. You and I, the scriptures say, are born in darkness, meaning we don't possess the capacity to even understand who God is in our sin and in our fallenness. The light does not dwell within us. It must come to us and be revealed. And that light is Jesus, and that light reveals God so we can know Him. The light has come. Verse 11, He came to His own. His own did not receive Him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive Him. 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Here's your second big idea quickly. How did Jesus make God known? God is revealed through Jesus in adoption. Adoption. What do you mean by that? These verses teach us that a relationship with this God. Creation reveals some of the characteristics of God. Here in this adoption verses, it's the idea of how we can know personally this God. And John says it's not through birthright, not of blood. See, the Jews thought, well, I'm born a Jew, I'm safe, I'm good. John says, no. Nobody's born into the kingdom in that way. Nicodemus thought that in John 3, and Jesus said, no, no, Nicodemus, you're born a Jew once, you've got to be born again into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. This reveals the grace and the nature of God that you're not born don't have a communion fellowship with this God in our sin by birthright. It's not earned, the will of the flesh. It's not because we sought him. It's the will of man. But it's a picture of God's grace, the light coming to illumine us in our darkness. He initiated the means and the way. Jesus, by coming as the light, reveals the sovereignty of great and grace in God's salvation. It's a picture of grace and sovereign mercy. And the response is faith, repentance. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, dying to self, embracing Christ to them as an act of grace, to them as an act of mercy, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be a child of God by adoption. You are adopted into his family by faith. And that is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Jesus revealed God through creation. He reveals God through adoption. Finally and quickly, look at verse 14. John continues, he says, but ultimately, ultimately this word has made God known. Verse 14, very well-known verse. You've got this memorized. Let's go through this again. It's so incredible. And this word, and the word, the revelation of God, Jesus himself, became flesh. The activity of God to make himself known to us went so far that the Godhead himself, the second member of the Trinity, became man. He took on flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the Apostle says. Glory that is unmatched, unparalleled. Glory as of the only Son, one of a kind, His superiority, His uniqueness, from the Father, full. That word full is huge because you remember Hebrews. In the past, God had revealed Himself in portions and in ways. Not portions and ways anymore. Full. Grace. And truth, this word, here's your last big idea. God is revealed through Jesus by the incarnation. God 
making himself known and knowable to you and me by literally becoming a human and walking among us. This word who was with God and fully God became flesh. Incredible. D.A. Carson says this is the most amazing event in all of human history. The eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, infinitely holy Son of God took on a human nature and lived among humanity as one who was both God and man at the very same time in one person. Jesus is the ultimate revelation. Jesus is the better revelation. Jesus himself made this clear. Jesus was talking about himself. In John 14, 9, he says, he says to Philip, he says, Philip, I've been so long with you, and yet you come, and you don't understand me, you don't fully know me. He says, Philip, he who has seen me, seen the Father. Full, complete revelation. John 14, 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him, and you have seen him. How? Because Jesus is the better, full, complete revelation of God. John 12, 45, he who sees me, Jesus says, sees the one who sent me. Incredible. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh. We just read it. Notice a couple things in these verses really quick. The word became flesh. And here's a phrase that if you're a Jew and you're reading this verse, you hearken back to, again, a, a a picture of the Old Testament that now is fulfilled in Christ. John 14, or John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. If you write in your Bible, circle that word dwelt. If you literally translate that, it's the word tabernacled among us. And to a Jew, they're thinking back to the way God revealed himself in the Old Testament by building the structure called the tabernacle that was a symbol of God's presence with his people. And at the very center of that tabernacle was that holy of holies. It later became the temple, but it was the holy of holies, God's presence. And they wrapped around that tabernacle. It was lined with animal skin. So it was a picture of God taking on skin in their presence as a picture of what was to come. John says the picture has been fulfilled. The Word became flesh. He took on humanity and has tabernacled among us. We have seen His glory. Why did He do that? So we could see, so we could have the light, so we could know God. Seen his glory, glory as of only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word grace and truth here, again, why does the author use that phrase? It again harkens back to the Old Testament. It's likely referring to a phrase that is throughout the Old Testament. It is that God in his steadfast love and faithfulness. God is characterized by steadfast love and faithfulness. Translate that in the New Testament, grace and truth. Grace and truth. That the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant faithfulness to us, the ultimate picture of who he is in full truth, John is declaring, we see it in his son. And we have a complete record of his son given to us in the inspired pages of the word of God. Jesus is the ultimate and the better and the full revelation of God. Amen.
Now, Hebrews is going to build on that through the rest of this book. Paul mentioned one of those examples earlier. One of the examples is he is our better high priest. Hebrews 2.14, why did he have to become flesh? It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise had to partake of the same. He became a man, never ceased to be God, took on something that he didn't have before, humanity. Therefore, he had to be made like all his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. God became man. Jesus, the Word, took on flesh as the ultimate, full, most complete revelation of God. I'm going to ask the team just to come on up and begin to play. We're going to move into a time of response. How do you respond to this? How does this change us? I'm just going to lead us in a quick word of prayer, but Hebrews, back to Hebrews 1.1, after all that John has said about who God is, the ultimate revelation of God, you come back to Hebrews, the author of Hebrews agrees and says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here it is, you've got to get this. But in these last days, He has spoken to us in the Son. Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he, Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God, sat down at the majesty of God on high. Pray with me, Father. Thank you for the grace that is seen in you coming to us. You making yourself known to us. There is no greater revelation than King Jesus. Lord, I pray by your spirit now, you will guide us in a right response to this incredible truth. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.